to another episode of your friendly neighborhood film cast. I am your host, Jack, and with me today is special guest, Molly. Hey. I am so excited to have Molly here, and if you did not know, Molly is the artist behind the cover art for the podcast, which I love, and I'm just so excited to have you here, and I'm very thrilled to be talking about the movie that you brought to my attention that we should be talking about today. And that is the 2001 film, a film, not a movie. It is a film, a capital F film, Shrek, directed by Andrew Adamson, which I never would have known if I didn't look that up. That's some weird Shrek trivia. If you would have asked me uh, what movie did Andrew Adamson direct, I wouldn't have thought Shrek. Regardless, it is described by IMDb as a mean lord exiles fairy tale creatures to the swamp of a grumpy ogre who must go on a quest and rescue a princess for the lord in order to get his land back. Succinct. Very succinct. I would say the uh, G-rated level of adjectives in that description really undermines the power this film holds. But that mean lord really does get the best, yeah. That's spoiler-free right there. It is spoiler-free for sure. So, Molly, I have to ask you what your background with Shrek is, because this was a movie that seemed so obvious. You even asked me, this seems like something you probably have booked already, but... I really have a lot of feelings about Shrek, and I would like to talk about them. And I was like, oh my gosh, how did I not think of doing a Shrek episode? You can be on here and talk about Shrek. So what is your background? I grew up with Shrek. I was born in 1997, so you can imagine. I Mm -hmm. watched it repeatedly. It was a comfort film of mine, which that's my relationship with film, generally. I tend to pick a favorite, stick with it, memorize it, especially as a kid. I was made uncomfortable by new things. So the familiarity that Shrek had from the first watch, which is probably prior to what I can even remember, it has just been there in my life. It's so tied into my identity. It was there from the beginning. And it sounds so silly, but I... Realized in my community growing up, I was kind of raised by a TV cart. Everywhere I went, adults just left children alone to watch a movie. That was the thing that kids could do. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't super comfortable with other kids. Like, I loved academics and, like, having a thing to do. Recess was stressful because there was, like, too many options. So I sat on the bench and drew. But movie day was, like, I had no... I had no outs. I had to experience something with my peers. And I just remember the stress of like, Ashley knows that we're going to watch Beauty and the Beast, but Matt needs to watch Mighty Ducks. And everyone's arguing and the teacher's getting like losing their patience. And we're going to watch the same episode of Reading Rainbow again, if no one decides. So Shrek was this like, ah. Up in the middle, everyone is okay with it, and it's fun to watch, and it doesn't matter that we've seen it ten times, because it's one of the ten movies we can watch here. (laughs) 
And that carried with me. I watched it not only in those situations, which was mostly like church or school, but every family party, my cousins and I would watch it because, again, we always would fight about movies. And so, routine. Every three months, we'll all hang out and watch Shrek. So, when I watch this film, there is not a line that I can't anticipate. And each one I hear in a different one of my cousin's voices because they all had different favorites. And, like, the way it hit for kids in such a wide age range, because I was one of the younger ones, but it got the teenagers, it got the parents, and everybody had different things that they loved about it. And I felt all of those as a kid from the room around me even if I did not understand the jokes. I was not in on so much of it because everyone was having fun. That was peak watching a movie experience for me as a child. Yeah, I completely agree with you. This is definitely a crowd pleaser. And this was a movie that I distinctly remember going to the movie theater and seeing for the first time simultaneously, I don't remember a life before Shrek. It didn't seem like I'm going to the movie theater to see this new movie Shrek. It's like, okay, I am seeing this movie Shrek that I somehow already know. Like, there's no memory of knowing what life was like before Shrek. Just like Babe or Men in Black or other movies that I watched growing up. I don't, I don't remember not knowing what this movie was, even if I have a memory of sitting down and watching it for the first time. It didn't feel like the first time. It just feels like a part of you. I don't remember learning the lyrics to All Star. I don't remember not knowing these things. Exactly, exactly. Now that I understand a little bit more about human consciousness and what storytelling means to us and how those gears are formed in our brain, like, how much we need a personal lore. Shrek did a lot. I fully believe it did a lot. Not only was it comfortable and already there, but it challenged the other things that we were comfortable with. It bridged a huge shift in the generation's media. I fully believe that, this is my personal opinion, Gen Z starts at people who don't remember a time without Shrek. Like, you can technically fall into it, in my mind, because that's where we were bred. Yes, no, I'm getting carried away in racing thoughts of why all of this is so important. (laughs) No, it is all good. I agree with you on all fronts. And I think that this movie has gone through a few interesting cycles and I feel like I experienced it in those cycles because much like you, it became a comfort movie. It would be a movie that would always be on at family functions because everyone liked it regardless of their age. And not that it faded into obscurity by any means, but I think that we became so saturated with sequels and with ripoff Shrek movies Not that it ever lost its potency, but I think that around 2013 when the Shrekening occurred and this rise of Shrek memes began, it it certainly brought my attention back to it. And uh, I think everyone our age and younger, it certainly did that with as well. And it's kind of 
stayed in that cycle since then. I think that even today I still see people still send me new Shrek memes to this day. It hasn't faded into obscurity again by any means. No, it has not faded into obscurity. I don't believe that it ever did. It always was thriving in one way or another. But the way that the sequels were presented, that was a successful children's movie franchise. Like that, that's a kid's movie. They made their money. Okay. But the spirit of the first film, the spirit of Shrek, yes. lived on in the fans. It quietly grew inside of us as we developed. And then 2013, we're all getting our smartphones in high school. Mm-hmm. And it was there all along. But now we get to create media for our peers to consume. And that's what we care about. Not the babies. Yeah. In that way, I absolutely, it felt like it was lying dormant that time. Also, it boggles my mind to think about how short of a blip my childhood was now that I understand years and how they pass. I mean, the classic lore at this point of Chris Farley originally being thought of for Shrek. When I first learned that, that's not possible because Chris Farley didn't exist in my time and Shrek is mine. Mm -hmm. But Chris Farley passed the year I was born. So it's not really like, it's so close. Yeah. But it feels to me as if Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella and Shrek all came out in the same year. Because they did. It was the first year I was conscious. <laughs> I saw them all at the same time. So going back and rewatching it, I can say with context now, this is so ahead of its time. But it was so seamlessly ushering in its time. Yes. Like I said, I didn't take specific notes on my first rewatch. Like you said, this film has been within you. Like, it, you have it. I knew every line as I was watching it. But I even found it challenging to attempt to watch it with fresh eyes. Yes, that is very challenging. It truly feels as if it's a dream that I can just press play on that I have. So getting into... A place of just analyzing the craft involved. Difficult, but so worth it. I just want to say, I was looking for anything to surprise me. I've seen it so many times, I love it. Donkey's dialogue is near flawless. Comedically, and I mean overall, in just a way that I did not expect. Because I have spent years staring in the face of Happy Meal toys shaped like him. I do not think about his character any longer. It has been so removed with the mass production of merch. But I appreciated that the most. Out of anything, like that was not what I was expecting to appreciate going into this. But it is what I found. I understand that. It is a a BAFTA-nominated performance by Eddie Murphy, <laughs> which I, uh, I'm i still wrapping my head around. Not that he's not worthy of it, but it's just wild to think that that is an award-nominated performance. It's wild. And Shrek is the first film ever to win the Best Animated Feature Oscar 
I'd like to think that that category was created just to honor Shrek, but, you know, that's my headcanon, if nothing else. Yes, no, as it should have been. And am I correct in thinking that Beauty and the Beast was the animated film that Pryor had made some motion in the Oscars? I think so. It was nominated for Best Picture, so that's probably what prompted them to start thinking if we have like strong enough animated movies, we should create a another category so that they don't get left out. But yeah. <laughs> and it is such a stunning, perfect timeline because Shrek truly is Beauty and the Beast, but make it healthy and a little weird. Yes. It sets up the same values as Beauty and the Beast. Very, very similar. But I remember being made uncomfortable by the end of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Because he changes, and then he's not the character that I started to like. Like, all of that, and then if it's about how beautiful he is on the inside, what? I think of those as my own thoughts. As a child, I was able to think that. But in reality, I had already seen Shrek. I can't mm-hmm. know if I would have been able to make that call on my own because the commentary was introduced at the same time as the thing itself to me in 2000 and whatever. I think about you and I. I mean, we're a couple years apart, but just people who are five years older than us, if they grew up being excited about the Disney Renaissance era, like the 90s Disney kick, like that was the big thing for them. But for me, that was like on the TV cart. Those are the plastic cases that are cracking mm-hmm. as far as VHS goes. I appreciated them. They were something to watch. They were pretty, which I always was drawn to that. Like, aesthetic drives my life. That is a fact with my interests. And I didn't want to watch things that were visually unappealing. So I was drawn to Disney in some ways in that Renaissance era. But when it comes to the connecting and engaging power, Mm -hmm. which is something that film, it's so different from strictly visual art in the power it holds. I was trying to think of any other films that do this that bring the family together that you can watch anywhere with any group of people Mm -hmm. all of that connectivity toy story was the first one that came to mind yeah monsters inc came to mind and then i went oh when i was beginning consciousness pixar was already a thing we got to have pixar out of the gate which means We were primed for human stories that looked good and looked new and fresh as far as CGI goes. But Pixar kept a healthy distance from the Disney classics. They were on parallel paths, not intersecting. Shrek just came in from the outside. If you're not gonna, I'm gonna. And the attitude displayed toward Disney tropes in the film Shrek were perfectly achieved in 2001 and it took until 2013 for 
frozen to hit theaters and everyone to collectively roll their eyes at the new meta Disney. I feel like that's when they really got pointing at their own Mm -hmm. jokes in the films. And that's exactly when we officially tuned out and got on Twitter and made Shrek memes. Yeah, it was right around that time. It's like all of these events happened within a few months of each other. When I came to you wanting to talk about this, when I woke up Mm -hmm. in the morning, I woke up one day and knew I had to say something. It's Shrek. I'm sure there's a whole plan. I can't, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the first thing I believe you said to me that I recall was, no, it was was the second time I talked to you when I said, whatever you're thinking of talking about, like lay it out, feel free to give me a plan, feel free to give me an outline. And you said, I don't know where to start. So I was going to leave it up to you. You said, because I know at this point, it's just kind of become the meme to everyone. It is a different thing altogether now. So where do you begin? And so that thought that it just has morphed into a meme led me to look up the definition of the word meme, the true, true definition of it. And it is an element of a culture or system of behavior that may be considered to be passed from one individual to another by non-genetic means, especially imitation. Mm -hmm. I believe that that is what Shrek held from the beginning. Yes. Part from the context of the internet. You know, an idea sprung from, of course, a source text, as well as Mm -hmm. just so much, so far back. But now meme in the internet sense, you know, a meme that we make and share, which has a separate entry on that dictionary page, we are able to do the thing that Shrek did so well with it. So it's just this kind of infinite irony loop that we are respecting what it was and pushing it out further and further. We're making our own memes in both senses of the word. We are. I'm a believer. (laughs) There were concerns I had as a child. I did not believe it was a perfect film. I could believe that it was until almost the very end, but my favorite TV show as a young homeschooler was my dad's VHS copied over tapes of the monkeys tv show from the 1970s perfect and when i realized it was a cover oh man but looking back there are like i i resented that as a kid about the music genuinely because my worldview was the size of a mandarin orange like i absolutely had strong opinions on every aspect of this film And so did every child around me, because it was just referencing the thing we knew about most. At least when it came to my community of kids who I was watching this film around, we got all the jokes because it was about the other movies that we sat around and watched. That was the entirety of our existence. You know, the seven years Mm -hmm. of our life had been spent roughly like that sitting and watching a screen. So what is going to hit home for us other than relating back to it? Mm-hmm. It totally hit in that way as a kid without me knowing what it was doing because that was just my reality. But it holds up as a critique on Hollywood. 
so well. It managed to do both at once in a way that could have failed. Do you ever think about how much this film could have failed? I do. It is a dark parallel universe that we'd be living in. Not that this one is bright by any means, but Shrek has been this light in our lives. Oh my gosh. Butterfly effect. Just can't imagine the end. Mm -hmm. But the concept was so just ballsy enough for them to produce. There's certainly a timeline where Disney was able to just shoot this thing out of the sky, right? But it came together into something that lasts so much more. I love that you specifically said, I don't remember learning the lyrics to the song All Star, because that opening, sitting down and rewatching this film, it is one of my all-time favorite film moments. Now, for those of you who it may have been a while or who have not seen Shrek, it is wall-to-wall visual poop jokes, essentially. I remember vividly, even if I don't remember the first time watching this film, I remember early on enough that I was... You know those hazy preschool memories? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being like, oh, there's a movie on. Fairy tale, fairy tale music. Okay, oh. And him reading the pages. And Mike Myers does a great job of really not revealing too much at all. So giving the film a fresh watch, I appreciate Mike Myers' performance from the very beginning in that the storybook scene does not reveal itself in the comedic timing of him busting out of his outhouse to the song All-Star. It's the type of thing that makes you laugh so hard you drop your phone on your face. Like, nowadays that would be like a seven-minute TikTok that I would send to everyone that I know. That's the level of comedy encapsulated there. But then there's just two hours of that level. Bam, 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 bam. I got through the first scene and felt a little euphoric. I hear All-Star on the radio at work all the time. I hear All-Star everywhere. It is a song that will not leave. And I don't know if it would be if it had not been for this. Because it truly just imprinted. But following that first scene, no, going back. The care that went in to the opening credits, the slime, goo, all of that that introduced who Shrek was to us, it was so crucial. And I'm certain it had to be tedious at the time. So often when I go back and watch 2000 CGI films, ones that came much later, they just do not hold up visually for me. That's one of my biggest turnoffs in rewatching old animated films. Yep. And as a child, I remember thinking Shrek was a little stark. I actually, as a kid, was made a little bit uncomfortable by how human and basic almost everything in the universe looked. I was used to some serious stylization going on, but the people in Shrek the villagers just looked like humans. 
But I realize now, when you watch it, it just feels like a movie. Yeah. Those things, they were rendering very familiar objects to the best of their abilities, and it holds up so much better than I thought it would. But it shows in the care of that first scene, like the fact they decided to have such a diverse set of nasty things to make appealing images out of just set the tone so well for everything to come. Yeah, with uh, this movie, it it balances such a delicate line like you were saying earlier, between like being ironic and sarcastic and being sincere. And I think that in the case of a lot of other movies or TV shows, we think of crude toilet humor or fart jokes as like cheap. Like you can't think of anything funny to say, so you're just going to throw in a fart noise or something. But with Shrek, it never feels that way. It never feels cheap or like they couldn't think of something better. It just feels so sincere like everything else does. It it's the best form of that joke. No, you couldn't go without using a fart noise. This is what the scene needs. Absolutely. And it challenged me from day 1 in that way because I mm-hmm. was not a kid who liked that stuff. I was not here for the fart jokes, but 100% They earned every joke. Upon watching this again, I could only compare the, like, level and consistency of my laughing. You ever think about how it sounds? Like, for me, it's like, what are my neighbors hearing when I'm watching something? Mm -hmm. How different is this depending on what I'm watching? My reactions vary. This was only comparable to Arrested Development. Oh, wow. Just in the pacing of the joke. And the strength of the delivery, all the way down to the payoff of the jokes, is ridiculous for a children's film. And so the fact that the comedy alone, when sticking a comedy in an animated film, can be tricky from what I've seen, from my very limited knowledge, oof. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They just managed to get it spot on with the timing. And it has to do with the perfection of the dialogue that I mentioned earlier in Donkey. I just can't believe how human that character manages to be. So much more so than any human Disney character in any of the 90s Disney I can think of. That was the other most surprising aspect to me, is how funny it still is. I knew it was funny as a kid, yeah. and I knew it would still be endearing, but watching it as an adult without kids around, you're still laughing at those jokes. Like, Timon and Pumbaa made my parents chuckle, and I still giggle at some of those Disney characters really sneaking one in there, but this just allowed it to run wild. And I think it's evident in the character progression of Donkey. I think that he is what I wanted every Disney animal sidekick to be. Yeah, I agree. Disney animal sidekicks were such a big deal. Again, in that time we grew up in, the established classics had a pretty person with a cute pet. 
and you could buy the toy. Mm-hmm. But even when those companions could talk on occasion, they rarely developed. The exception maybe being Mulan, funny enough. Yeah. Of all characters, Mushu, also voiced by Eddie Murphy. Precisely. But instead of a cute thing that makes sense to be there, it is an absurd thing that doesn't make sense to be there, (laughs) which is perfect for what this film is. Donkey is the one who really changes over the course of this film. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to my girl Fiona, but watching his character so vulnerably go through the course of events, I, again, know every line. I know what's coming, but certain ones did manage to surprise me. And after he talks to Fiona, oh no, this is, is it okay if I, oh, spoilers, there are spoilers. Yeah, we'll just say, let's head into spoiler territory. We can just all be all out in the open. Okay. When Act 3 begins, Donkey finds Fiona in her ogre state that she reverts to in the evening. They have the conversation. Actually, all I have to say, I don't want to get too far into talking about third act stuff. Okay. Remember when I was talking about how when I was a kid I needed structure and I liked really bridging? (laughs) We're working on it. When it comes to... The animal sidekick. Donkey Mm -hmm. and everything that he is. His vulnerability and how that helps us get to know the other characters. We didn't get Olaf until 2013. It took that long for us to see that represented in another character of a similar role. And rewatching this, he's better than Olaf. When I think about watching this film with my cousins... When you say, what's my history with that movie, with this film, mm-hmm. it is watching it with my family. It is the Dulac scenes, personally. Oh, yeah. First of all, working so well. The score. The fact they used pop music so effectively to transition from scene to scene and setting to setting engaged me in a way could not have been otherwise. When they get to do luck, and first of all, the singing children were a classic in my family. Each cousin would perform as them because that was a point in the movie where the adults were paying attention. That was a point in the movie where they were laughing along with us. Mm-hmm. I have to say, Shrek has one of the most impressive movie soundtracks. Just to kind of talk about the soundtrack for a second, the fact that All Star and Hallelujah are used in the same movie, both perfectly, just really shows you the range. And Bad Reputation, the scene that probably radicalized many people. Honestly, I was talking about Duloc, and then I got totally thrown off my train of thought went astray because thinking about bad reputation and how well it was used soundtrack feels fake it looks like i put it together like a funny mix-up of my childhood music 
Mm-hmm. Like, if you watched the opening scene set to All Star, the fight scene set to Bad Reputation, and the outro to I'm a Believer, you would think it was a really well done, fun kids movie. Like, good job, guys. That was so fun. This was actually beautifully done. The choreograph of the fight is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Again, the CGI holds up for what it was. The comedic timing is in line with the musical timing. It all the elements of film work together in a remarkable way when it comes to that fight scene. But then you throw in the hallelujah montage. What if that one wasn't there? What if you only had the context of the others? It seems like the picture is complete. That's, this is already awesome. But what if you only saw the hallelujah scene? I would pay so much money to eternal sunshine erase specifically the memory of that montage as difficult as a choice that would be. I need to know what it's like to see that with fresh eyes. Yes. My thoughts exactly. What does it look like to watch that as an adult for the first time? That was the first version of Hallelujah I had ever heard. Mm -hmm. In my reality, that's the definitive version of Hallelujah. Yes, it skips verses. Why do you care? Do you know what it means to me? The pacing is remarkable leading up to the moment where that starts. Each one of these sequences is perfectly done, but would have been clunky if they hadn't put that much care into what was surrounding it. Therefore, in my memory, well, there's a lot of shining moments in Shrek. Oh, classic. But it is quilted together wonderfully. You can fully enjoy those scenes, because the transition there was smooth. One of the other movies I thought to compare it to as I was watching it was Mary Poppins. It gave me the feeling of Mary Poppins a little bit. They did not leave anything out. There were not things left on the table. Yeah. But they did not cross the line. How is it possible that this film is this long and has this many things crammed into it? And just came out at the perfect temperature. Yeah, that's very true. How did you feel about the fairy tale aspect of it growing up? I had a similar experience to you because I kind of grew up with Shrek, maybe not simultaneously watching it along with the other movies, but my exposure was still fairly new. Like, if I had any memory of those movies, like, Disney classics, they would have been maybe two or three years old by the time I saw Shrek. So it was a very quick progression from these classics to Shrek. So I could understand that it was kind of twisting that a little bit, but I didn't completely get it either. Like it just felt like a new fairy tale alongside all of these other characters like to the point where I even thought oh have I not seen the movie that has princess Fiona in it just thinking that she was a Disney princess or something yes that was my experience that is exactly 
how I felt. To the point I was literally confused when I would go to the Disney store and not see her. Mm-hmm. And that's where this art meant something more to us as a generation. Because it's an effective spoof. It's funny. But it's our reality. I honestly think that most of my knowledge of fairy tales, of fairy tales generally, Mm -hmm. comes from that film. I watched it more times than I watched a lot of classic Disney films. And it covered all of the basics. The scene with the fairy tale creatures, as far as when you first meet Donkey, is ripe with those classic references. And we were starting out in the world. I had not seen renditions or read so many of those but it still worked it was a good movie that we loved regardless it was engaging to the aesthetic of a childhood mm-hmm. the fairy tale side of it i mean it's a huge theme obviously but i didn't know what that was when i was a kid disney was everything to me personally Movies were Disney cartoons. So, of course, this Mm -hmm. movie is about a fairy tale. That's what they are. Is there one scene that stands out for you? I'm just curious. Because the hit after hit after hit feeling it gave me Mm -hmm. has me really trying to boil it down. Really trying to think of what did I love about this movie back then. Do you remember yours? I don't know if this would necessarily boil down to my love of Shrek, but something that I certainly do not remember ever seeing in an animated fairy tale esque movie is when Fiona is singing and kind of mimicking the chirping bird and all of a sudden they engage in this contest going back and forth who can sing or chirp the highest to the point where the bird just swells up and it poof explodes I think that's like what began my love of dark humor is that exact moment yes 100% it just was the height of comedy Because that was the height of trope. Like, we knew pretty princesses are friends with birds. It's one of the only facts that we were given from the other films that included that. And turning it on its head in that way was striking. I did not like conflict in films as a child that was another issue I had was the stakes were way too high I get that (laughs) it stressed me out big time this is just full of little moments it's a love story and you know there's a dragon there are points where it feels big but in reality it's just this little human story with funny moments unrelated to much else yeah and the montage that really escapes me i named all the others as far as hallelujah versus the action-packed music-packed options but Mm -hmm. the ever so brief shrek and fiona really once they got to know each other and they're making the last leg of their journey 
there's a moment where they blow up animals. They grab. Yes, I thought of that scene too. (laughs) And they put their mouths on those live creatures' mouths and blow deeply into them in order to inflate them like balloons. Just imagine storyboarding that. Just imagine presenting that to the table. It would make me crack up. I remember losing it as a kid. It was so Mm -hmm. funny. Shrek does it first, and you're like, okay, yeah. Fiona does it, and then it's real funny. But she becomes involved with the snake, and Mm -hmm. she ties it into a balloon animal. And there is this look between her and Shrek of anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. Like that vibe Mm -hmm. between them stuck out so hard in my mind. And again, was my idea of a princess because of that. She demonstrates her abilities so casually and so effectively as Mm -hmm. a character. The pacing lets Fiona unfold in such a satisfying way because we get to know her through the Disney lens, through Farquaad's introduction to her, through the mirror, who is one of my favorite characters. And really, it's a good little bit into the film until you even see her apart from that. Just looking at the runtime and how much I had watched, it was bizarre realizing I hadn't even met Fiona, especially because her character still is so hidden for so long. But once they begin exploring it, they do it. And the pacing was the pacing needed to be as good as it was for this story to make it off the ground. They found that pacing in the most entertaining way possible. Mm -hmm. When it comes to them rescuing Fiona, that scene will make you love Shrek and Donkey. You will finally believe in them. They have gone from funny to, like, you are deeply rooting for them. You still don't care about Fiona. That entire scene, you're just... I mean, it is a Disney princess. She is still in that reality. And I remember being like, why are you even here? As a kid who liked more adventurous, like less of the princess movies, the girl actually showed up. Oh, come on, like a dragon. And you get out of there and they escape and it's great. But then, oh no, you're not hot. But so quickly we have the very brief musical number in the woods. That scene, Fiona being just in the middle of frame, I think in the middle of dialogue. Yes, she had just told Shrek, don't judge people before you get to know them, or what she had heard him say the night before Mm -hmm. in his extremely healthy talk with Donkey. Display of friendship with Donkey. As she references that, and it's this sweet okay, like, maybe this princess has a little something. We'll see. It's just that moment of, oh, okay. Literally, the man just swoops into the shot and removes her from it. 
she is scooped up and all of your senses, your comfort of, oh, wow, is just freeze frame, done. And as a kid, I remember being angry hearing that accordion rev up. Do you do you remember your reaction to this sequence of events at this point in the film as a kid? I was skeptical of it all. I was skeptical of enjoying things. And so again, I was just starting to think this princess might be okay when here comes a song. This is a musical. Like all of this stuff that has felt cooler than a kid's movie. Now it's really going to turn into one. And that hilarious song, first of all, the writing of that song, I am so thankful that it made it into the movie. I was Mm -hmm. watching this with Dylan and we were, my partner and I, were cracking up, looking at one another and saying, how did it make it? How did this make it into the final cut? I'm so happy that it did all at once. I don't understand how it's on a movie screen in 2001, but there's no life without that. The just gestalt of this film is really remarkable. It needed every last piece. But I, on viewing it as a kid, did not trust that. So Fiona immediately swooping him out of frame, just like that, when I think we're ramping up for this entire song and dance that I see mm-hmm. so much in children's media, she herself removes the trope from the equation and says out loud, that was annoying. Mm-hmm. After displaying so much physical strength and ability, we just finally start to believe in Shrek and Donkey because they managed to save her from this tower. It took that long for them to really prove themselves in that way in your eyes. And so you're waiting for that build up with Fiona, but it just hits you in the face. (laughs) Immediately it is displayed. And by the way, if you were worried about this being anything like what it could have been up to this point no definitely not it feels as if there are title cards between acts almost the transitions are so just the end of a chapter Mm -hmm. that scene left me loving her as a human as a character loving the complexity of her when three minutes before i didn't know if I liked the inclusion of her character at all. It's pretty impressive. Some of my other favorite shots. It was so hard. I was trying to kind of break it down visually and really pay attention to what was striking to me now. And there is a wealth of them. Shrek and Donkey arriving at Duloc and meeting the mascot in the barriers. The fact that they pan up and show it from above so that you can watch just how far the mascot has to run screaming from Shrek through the barriers. And then, so casually, Shrek and Donkey 
just walk straight through and drag them behind. That was so effectively funny to me as a child. But now, thinking about the literal breaking of barriers that this film did, the fact they executed that so succinctly and could just plop it in as a joke for the kids is meticulously crafted. Around every turn, I just thought, that didn't need to be there. They didn't have to put that there, but they did. I work as a production artist all day long. I am putting creative energy into something that is going to be displayed. And it is so easy to say, that's good enough. Like, they'll get it. That's enough of that. The point comes across. That was not a thought that anyone creating that film had, seemingly. Yeah. And the world is better for it. (laughs) Absolutely. What do you think about the accent Mike Myers chose to use for Shrek? It's hard to imagine anything else besides what we got, but I am aware that he didn't originally record it with the Scottish accent, and he kind of ended up re-recording all of his lines because it just felt like something was missing, but I don't know where we would be, yet another example of the butterfly effect, if he didn't have that Scottish accent. I mean, even just saying donkey, like... It would have a totally different ring if he just said donkey. It would be completely different. Absolutely. I remember back whenever the Chris Farley tapes dropped, being so excited, like, oh my gosh, yes, it makes so much sense. And listening to them, and it was amazing to hear, but he was not reading Shrek's lines. Those were not Shrek's lines if they weren't delivered in that accent. Like, yeah. it just is. It had to be. <laughs> the vocal performances all around were spot on and worked together in a way I wish all animated casts ended up working together. Yeah, it's kind of a shame because I think that this definitely spawned a trend of attaching big names to animated movies. I mean, before, like, with Toy Story, you might have had Tom Hanks and Tim Allen, who were big at the time, but I think that Shrek was one of the first times that we, like, really attached the names of all of these big stars to the characters that they were playing, and we see that a lot nowadays. Like, you look at The Secret Life of Pets, or... Any of those other uh, more modern animated franchises, and they have all of these big-name casts, but not all of them have the actors really going for it as much as they did in this movie. It was effective casting that happened to be star-studded. Yes. Perfect. That's the perfect description. (laughs) Which I know this standard was, I mean, it was pioneered when it came to Aladdin, and the genie. Mm-hmm. Robin Williams, from what I understand, was against using his name to market the film. Yeah. And this is evolving from that time. And mm-hmm. similar to Robin Williams being the genie and being the correct voice actor for the part, Eddie Murphy <laughs> is the correct 
voice actor for the character of Donkey. What are your thoughts on the delivery of Fiona? Again, I think that this goes back to not knowing anything different. I think that Cameron Diaz is good as Fiona. I do kind of wonder, like, hearing that Janine Garofalo was the original voice of Fiona, how that would have made it different and if that would have maybe fit more with the character. But I am okay with Cameron Diaz and I have learned to appreciate her as I've gotten older and seeing that she's had a varied career and unfortunately kind of got stuck in not so good of movies as the 2000s went on, but having an appreciation for her earlier work, I I think she does well. How about you? Absolutely. I believe it was towing the line on too close. Cameron Diaz could have been a Disney princess's voice. Yes. I think Cameron Diaz would have perfectly played Rapunzel and Tangle. Mm. Mm-hmm. She's got the chops for that. But as we know, Fiona is not just a Disney princess. So they had to find someone with just enough edge to mm-hmm. trick us. Because when they are rescuing her, she has to play the part of believing in her own lore and wanting her Prince Charming. And I think Cameron Diaz did a good job with that. I think she did a great job with Fiona herself. I feel she was helped along by the quality of the writing, maybe more than Mike Myers or Eddie Murphy. Their delivery and comedic timing was just spot on and matched the level of writing that they were working with. And at times, Cameron Diaz does. It feels so wrong to critique this film. I understand. It feels like critiquing the Bible. It was meant to be. However it came out, that's how it was supposed to go. It does feel that way. But the moments that really cement Fiona as the character that meant so much to me are a little more visual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The bird that you referenced... The stark contrast of her fairy tale perfection next to Shrek's nastiness and her embrace of it while she's in that form is so poetically effective and just so funny. <laughs> just the image of her when you're being introduced to her character holds more weight. And I wonder what that means. I. Shrek and Donkey are the male leads, and she is the damsel in distress. That's how she's introduced. Her dialogue does remove her from that position. But again, it's her kicking that guy out of the frame that lets you get to know her. We talk about the bird. The bird exploding, that is just hilarious and an introduction to dark humor. But it didn't cut there. It didn't stick with the shock and awe of that moment. It was sweet. Oh, no. Oh, my God. That bird just exploded to she sees the eggs in the nest. And as a kid, I'm as a as a highly sensitive child, Mm -hmm. I was a little upset 
there's a family here. Like, I'm getting concerned for these non-entities in the film over her, but then cut to her cooking them for Shrek. Don't see her smiling and cut to them frying and being flipped by a stick as she's embracing this lifestyle so seamlessly and mm -hmm. doing it in a way that shows care that we've only seen from Shrek. Like, the only character that we've seen put effort into anything or focus into anything is Shrek. Going so quickly from shock and awe comedy to coming away with that just immediately getting back into the character development and the relationship between her and Shrek, it just seamlessly rolls into key dialogue. Again, storyboarding that. Just, in my mind, having princess singing, smoking legs, abandoned babies, frying eggs, then the plot, you know. That sequence reflects the entire film. I think we could go through and talk about every scene transition. There's a lot of them that are all wonderful. I don't think there's a bad one, truly. I remember Bad Reputation. They get to Duloc, and there's the spoof on It's a Small World, which was a perfect choice and hits in so many ways for me now because It's a Small World as a kid I had not gone to Disney World. I had no concept of it. Um, so Duloc was kind of introducing me to those tropes. But now Mary Blair, the artist who created It's a Small World, the iconic Disney artist, is one of my favorites. I appreciate her work, and it is one of my top inspirations. I can know that and also know that It's a Small World is a bit creepy these days. It was yeah. a beautiful creation of hers. It was done effectively at the time, and it holds up visually. But that sweetness of Disney that she so perfectly encapsulated is just what they needed to put on screen and point at to make sure mm -hmm. everyone definitely knew what was going on here. <laughs> that song immediately cut to the image of Shrek and Donkey being printed out. It's probably my favorite visual gag of the whole movie. Such a simple decision that improved the movie itself by points. Because the entire, that you're waiting, the entire song, it's getting more and more ridiculous. And you're saying, okay, when is it going to cross that line? When is it going to be too much of a poop joke? <laughs> because it literally is at one point. But you're still laughing because you're just so in awe. And seeing the character's reaction in such a succinct way, there was no dialogue for them to have there. The dialogue between Shrek and Donkey was saved and used so effectively where 
often I feel like there's just jokes all around and constant bantering between Olaf and whoever in <laughs> whatever movie, but their silent faces just being printed out, like just in case you were wondering if this was about those theme parks, here you go. Also, that's all you need to know about their reaction. Let's keep it moving so we can hear them talk about their very human concerns. But before that, we'll stop off further in Duloc, where we see Lord Farquaad in action in front of his people for the first time. Which, it's limited throughout the film, but scenes with Lord Farquaad in public are some of the best, in my opinion, in this movie, because the excuse to have a laugh track and a sitcom setup. You get to know Shrek in the first half hour of the film. You see how much he cares about his swamp. You see how much he enjoys his life there. And the movie could continue on in just that earnest of a maybe all the characters in this world just love and are. <laughs> maybe all the characters in this world show that obsession. Because Farquaad is obsessive in his own ways. You see how much he cares about the choice he's making here. The okay. motivations are different. But being introduced to the people of Duloc and the crowd itself really set the tone for Shrek's othering. Yes. And I think if you didn't already get the vibe that Farquaad is the antagonist of this film, that really just kind of... uh lets you know his relationship to others beyond just Gingy. <laughs> Precisely. Which, the introduction to Lord Farquaad as a character, yes, you know he's the antagonist. Prior to that scene, of course, because the introductory scene of his character is a master class on how to introduce an antagonist full of tropes, but so effectively spoofed on. The score makes him so effectively scary. The scene starts, and you know that something bad is coming. And this is a kid's movie. So, in my mind as a kid, it's gonna get real bad. This is Ursula. Like, I'm ready to get stressed out when I hear a villain coming down the hall. Oh, the tension. The tension just built in me. The anxiety built in me. The door slamming open to an adorable gingerbread man. And that scene, they found a time, or they found a way to fit everything you needed to know about the antagonist into the scene, as well as really establishing the comedic style that you were working with. I'd be interested in the runtime of that scene. Farquaad's scenes are short. He serves his purpose in creating conflict, but that's pretty much it. We get to know his character as a peg that the story moves on, but the story is not at all dependent on him in the end. 
his insignificance, I think, was one of yeah. the secrets that made this work because it allowed room for humanity in the other characters' dialogue and their actual time on screen. I agree. I feel like he's used effectively in the sense that we get enough of him to know the stakes involved with him as a character and we do kind of need him as kind of like a catalyst for Shrek to be put on this mission to rescue Fiona but we do spend minimal time with him throughout the movie so you're never like he's used enough to where it's funny and scenes with him kind of break up all of the other scenes with Shrek and Donkey and Fiona but never to the point where you feel bogged down by his presence. 100%. Villain songs are so consistently the most mediocre portion of these films. That scene is what you need in a villain. You don't have to drag it out. You just really don't. Yes, the MCU could learn something from Shrek. No, exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh, I... You want a fun fact about me? This is while I'm on a film podcast, I should say it. The last MCU film I saw was The Winter Soldier. Wow. When I say I need to talk to the world about Shrek, it's because I'm still living in that world. Oh, wait. It might have been Guardians of the Galaxy. It was the same year, though, so that might have been the last one. I think Guardians of the Galaxy was the wake-up call where I was like, I liked that. I enjoyed that a lot. But not for any of the reasons that I enjoy comics. Yeah, I get that. I, it's valuable information to have because I just smile and nod to people's MCU references. And I feel like I need to be honest. <laughs> the bait and switch of the dragon is one of the most striking things at the end of the day. Is yes. there a trope? That is more of a trope than a dragon guarding a castle. And the biggest reveal as a kid was that it was a girl. And a very affectionate dragon who really wanted to strike up a relationship with Donkey. Sure enough, that just made it into the final cut again. Yes. (laughs) Receives his own love interest while still, you know, making his own progress as a character and really healthily declining advances. Donkey's dialogue to the dragon, I did not understand it as a child, naturally. I did not know why he was saying what he was saying. Mm -hmm. But I knew it was funny and she literally blew a smoke ring that was heart-shaped at him. So I definitely knew that was the joke. And the bait-and-switch of scary dragon turning into scary in a totally different way dragon, and the humor, especially as a kid, of the gender swap there, and the, oh, you're a girl dragon. He accepted it right away. It wasn't, they didn't stay there. They didn't really dig in that, oh, it's a girl. What does a girl dragon do? I mean, maybe in that romance ended up being the use Mm -hmm. for that character. But 
it's still a dragon. She's still aggressive <laughs> in a human way. And when it comes to payoffs, we see her sad and left behind as they escape. And that's it. That's the end of the joke. That's, in my mind, it's over. That dragon's there forever. It was a funny little moment. But an hour later, after all of these crucial developments and you've grown so attached to all these characters, again, there comes that hallelujah montage. What is this film? Why am I feeling these feelings? I didn't know I would care so much about this ogre. And as you're hit with that wave, the donkey, or donkey and the dragon find one another. No other mention of it. There's no dialogue of them finding one another. There's little logic in why they were both sitting by the river. But that joke of a character was pulled back in at just the right moment of vulnerability for you to accept it and care about it. Mm -hmm. If the dragon came back at any other funny moment, it would not have worked. This movie is, of course, Shrek is all about tropes. They, at the end of the day, managed to cram an ungodly amount of them into this film. But personally, my all-time favorite trope is montages of people thinking about one another. You can let characters talk to each other all day long, but it will not convince me of their bond in the way that a shot of one of them sitting at a kitchen table alone just morphing into the other one also at a kitchen table alone. That's it. I'm fully invested. What's that? Hallelujah is in the background? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel something. I'm definitely gonna feel something about that. Shrek arrives home to his swamp that has been home to these fairy tale creatures that he never wanted there, which you've forgotten about at this point because the movie is now about his chemistry with Fiona. He walks back in and they're all gone. He did his part. He has his swamp, but there's a mess left behind. And he looks down into the shattered mirror and his own image is broken apart. He has been broken, and it just melts into a pristine chandelier back in Duloc, where Fiona is preparing for her wedding to Farquaad. And it's her perfect fairy tale life, and his messy, what he wanted, but now questioned identity being put up against one another and then continuing throughout that montage the fact they let donkey in on that moment is crucial yes it also led to dragon donkey babies for films to come better or worse the, the lore continuing for so many sequels is hilarious to me because this movie was meant to stand alone. 
It did such a perfect job of tying a bow mm-hmm. on a film and then managed to have a remarkable sequel, which that's a whole nother conversation. Yes, I didn't want to get too much into Shrek 2, but it's also a masterpiece in my opinion. A rare sophomore success mm-hmm. of its own. But now that there's such a defined floor, now that every person that I've known has owned the Burger King cups. Yes, I drink out of those every day. Shrek and Fiona's faces are just, I mean, this all started as a spoof of these fairy tale characters that were heavily marketed to children, but they did turn into that in the end, but like they earned it. Yes, this is so cringy, but to quote another film that was inducted or preserved in the Library of Congress in the year 2020. It's like they say in the dark night, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I feel like that's what the Shrek franchise did. It's so true. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. But those Burger King cups, we still love to drink from. Everything that their image is on, I can't be that mad about. No, I I totally bought into it. I mean, I hate that capitalism works that way, but it does. You throw Shrek on something. I have a Shrek face mask. That's how deep it runs, which, to be fair, I didn't buy that. A friend bought it for me and mailed it to me, but still, there's something to be said about that. No, have you seen the Shrek toothpaste covers? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Just his little bum sitting around your toothpaste so that you can recreate the iconic opening scene anytime you like. That actually, that might be my new TikTok niche, is I write inspirational quotes in toothpaste. Because it was so satisfying to watch the letters be formed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just keep that going. You know, there's a disturbing amount of Shrek merch covering this earth. How many of his faces have been produced yeah but that's where the beauty of it being such a meme comes in because sure it did become a capitalized on franchise in the end big time but that source material is still there for us to do whatever we want with it Mm -hmm. shrek did go on to be the shrek of the sequels but he is also the character in each of those videos and images created by our peers. Mm-hmm. It is all canon. It is all allowed. I appreciate Shrek as a film apart from that. I feel like Shrek as a character encapsulates the freedom to just do what you want to and like what you want to which is the heart of the film at the end of the day. But just wrapping this one movie up, just a VHS copy of Shrek is something I respect so highly. It feels pristine to me. While at the same time, 
zooming in on his face and his name. It's all about him. There's nothing pristine about it. It is absolute anarchy. Yes. I love how it contains multitudes. It can be so many things all at once. I'd said from the beginning that this was a comfort movie. And it really is. It struck me. There are so many beautiful shots. The detail they put into nature and landscapes and the vivid backgrounds, which we're calling back to some classic animation styles, they serve as a warm blanket next to the fight scenes and the just harsh enough comedy. It is so exhilarating while being totally, totally relaxing. And anything that can do both of those, especially for children and adults alike, without giving in to cheap choices, pleasing everyone is one thing. You said at the beginning, this is a real crowd pleaser. And when I hear the phrase crowd pleaser, I don't think well done or meticulously crafted. Yeah, those two are rarely simultaneous. Absolutely. And I don't know how much of it is in the fact that it used such a classic setup. Rewatching, it is surprisingly Shakespearean. It's not just classic in that it's calling back to these animated films, but the miscommunication, everything thickens on, so human and so upsetting to a child or a married couple. Like, watching Shrek and Fiona develop and communicate and understand and not understand one another, I felt like I was watching a relationship develop. Truly. Mm -hmm. Often children's romances are two characters that are appealing who make jokes to one another and then kiss. Shrek and Fiona do that, but the chemistry is so far beyond what it had to be for a children's film. I was just having these thoughts just really running with this universe and trying to nail down in other terms, like compare it to other things to try to freshen the idea in my mind. Um, And I just wrote, Belle is listening to Taylor Swift somewhere while Fiona is listening to Phoebe Bridgers. Both are valid and good. I like that. (laughs) But the latter have a penetrable humanness that you can feel. Beauty and the Beast is a great film. Belle is my favorite princess when it comes to Disney. But when asked who my favorite princess is, my answer is generally Fiona. She has every quality that I admire in Belle and a wealth of human quirks that you just do not get (laughs) elsewhere. And I think that was such a crucial thing for the standard moving forward on female characters, especially in kids' movies. Those, again, those who were born five years before us just had a real different idea. Uh, I mean, just the representation was mm-hmm. remarkable in a way that 
everything just changed after that. The rest of my childhood, that's what it was. I think about what is memed this much, what is remembered this much, what is loved and revered this much. SpongeBob SquarePants, which was also at this new millennium. Like, these works were created in and surrounding the time of the year 2000. Everything was changing. Everything was scary. I don't remember it. I can't actually describe how it felt because I was not around for it. But that period of time, post-New Millennium and pre-9-11, is this tiny, tiny piece that defined so much for everyone, but especially people our age who were coming up with Shrek. Yes, I couldn't have said it better myself. When it comes to 9-11 and kids' movies, I do, I do have to ask if you're planning on covering Master of Disguise. Oh my goodness, that is a, a movie that is quite renowned in my household. I'm sure I will probably cover it at some point. Don't know when, but uh, it's one to definitely talk about because it's a wild movie, that is for sure. And the trivia I'm referencing, of course, is the harsh reality of the fact that the iconic Turtle Club scene was being filmed as 9-11 occurred and the crew had to break and then go back. And it was a scene that stuck with me as a child. I can tell you that much. But apart from that, (laughs) it was a lawless time for children's media. Children were the most powerful they had ever been in America in the year 2000. It was all for us, and suddenly it wasn't. So I feel like we're just still there. We're just stuck in that limbo. I agree. That's why I say Gen Z... Gen Z was created in the Shrek generation. If you don't remember your first time seeing it, you were given this sense of irony, this sense of not taking things too seriously, this spoofing and riffing on everything while still paying it the reverence it deserves in turn. That spirit that I frankly see in the generation right below me the stereotypical gen z that we're looking at here really is the spirit of shrek it is right now especially it's a great time to look back at the source text it is especially since shrek just had its 20th anniversary which is wild to think about this is the perfect time to be recording and then subsequently releasing this episode yes oh my gosh that's right it all worked out it did so thank you for making this happen my absolute pleasure i i did not make anything happen everything happened as it was supposed to happen because anything that touches shrek was meant to be that way in the end shrek willed it that way it's my personal personal philosophy thank you for having me and letting me just really, really walk down paths that I enjoy every time I meet them. Of course. Well, I I can't 
let you go without asking my little closing questions. Have you watched any good TV shows or movies lately? Oh, man. This is, again, this, I told you I was nervous about very specific things. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is a stand-up film. I've got to tell you, MCU really is trying out some some wild and crazy things. I, I don't know if you guys have checked it out yet, but Chris Pratt is not just Andy Dwyer. Let me tell you. Also, did you know raccoons were cute? Also, I just I watched season one of Mindhunter for the first time, so it's really, really good. And if anyone hasn't watched it yet, this is a PSA that you also finally need to. Everyone's telling me WandaVision is great, so do with that what you will. But that's about where I am at in my media consumption. I appreciate that. I'm glad that you brought up Guardians of the Galaxy since that seems like a movie that people who love Shrek also love. I know that I'm one of those people. They seem related in a way, although they're not. Like, the spirit is there to an extent, so I'm glad that that was brought up as a recommendation. I got carried away in my bit. I watched a film this week called Adam's Rib, which okay. was Catherine Hepburn playing a defense lawyer who is married to the prosecutor in a case they both end up on. And it's a poignant dramedy. If you're someone who, personally, the classics appeal to me aesthetically, but I'm often bored by the content. I get that. I'm there with you. This was an engaging ride. So, Adam's Rib on HBO Max. Is this week's favorite. Truthfully, my my bit is more telling of the usual consumption. Nice. That's good to know. The only new thing that I've watched that I feel like I should share is the 2006 film directed by Sofia Coppola, Marie Antoinette, which uh, I don't know how historically accurate it is, but I sure enjoyed it aesthetically for such a grand movie it has very little dialogue and it's more of a mood than anything else but I enjoyed that mood very much yes it is VR tumblr it is everything mashing together into one picture so pretty it's ugly but then it's pretty again and you're just happy looking at it yes I'll finish this off by saying um, if any of you want to know what I'm about, what I do, what I look like, the picture of Kirsten Dunst smoking a cigarette in costume on the set of that film is who I am. That's me. Um, Now you know. I'm really glad you brought up that movie, Jack. It's a crucial part of my identity, and I need to bring it up as often as possible. So I in reality present as Kirsten Dunst in Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, but just know that inside here, we're dressed up to the nines. Good. I'm glad. You gotta do it that way. I have not watched that in some time. I have not gone back to Marie Antoinette, and it actually popped up on one of my lists the other day. 
And I thought, like, that would be fun to look at, but didn't remember anything else. No, there's really not much to remember, but it's sure pretty to look at. (laughs) That's valid. Coming from an illustrator. Absolutely valid. (laughs) Yes. Which... I guess I should ask you, that kind of flows into my final question for you. Do you have anything that you would like to plug at this time? Yeah, I am on all the social media always. I am at Molly Ann Art, M-O-L-L-Y-A-N-A-N-N-E Art. And I'm just documenting my daily trader josing of everything around me. I paint a lot of grocery foods with faces on them, but then in the time when I'm at home, I'm able to do cover art for podcasts. And I loved making the art for this podcast so much. I loved getting into your headspace. And anyone who's looking for something really personal, that's that's my thing. I don't often have a ton of projects that are based in me because I really like transforming people's visions and transposing them. So if you want to check out the visions that I'm transposing, you can find me there. Yes, of course. Thank you for creating that art. I was so happy to have you do it. I mean, if I could have one person do my podcast art, I was really hoping it would be you. So I was so uh pleasantly surprised when you were like the first person who contacted me about that I didn't even have to approach you it was so wonderful it was serendipitous so thank you for that and I'm glad that you came on and if you would ever like to come on again please feel free and um I guess this would be a good time as I'm plugging the usuals your fn film cast friendly neighborhood film cast at gmail.com um a little announcement is that we're taking a short summer break just while things are opening back up again and I can kind of be out in this brave new world of post vaccinations and all of that fun stuff and deal with some other things as well exciting fun new things you know we'll be back at some point in the next couple of months So stay tuned. We're certainly, much like the MCU characters, we will return. So stay tuned. (laughs) And uh, yeah. For Shrek's 21st, if not before. Yes.